In one of his books entitled Just Like Jesus, that very well-known writer Max Lucado begins by asking readers a very interesting question. What if for one day Jesus was to become you? Just think about it for a moment. For 24 hours, Jesus became you. Jesus wakes up in your bed, he walks in your shoes, he lives in your house, assumes your schedule, your boss becomes his boss, your family becomes his family, your pains become his pains. But with one exception, nothing about your life changes. Only your heart is replaced with God's heart. Your health doesn't change, your circumstances do not change, and your problems remain exactly the same. So for one complete day and night, your heart gets the day off, and your life is led by Jesus Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passion drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. What would you be like? Just think about it for a moment. Would the people around you constantly notice a significant change in you? Your family, your co-workers, your friends? How about the poor and the disadvantaged and the less fortunate? Would you have a different heart for them? Would you treat them the same? And this is a good one. How about those who cause you heartache and grief? Would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than from yours? And how would you feel altogether? What would this do to your mood swings, your stress levels? Would you sleep any better? Any chance you would need less sedatives, aspirins, sulpidines? How about your actions and reactions to situations? Say, for example, in traffic jams. I put my hand up to that one. Would you be shocked at the difference in your life? Now, over the last seven months, we have traveled through the Old Testament with Simon, looking at the history of Israel, God's chosen people. And one thing we discovered is that no matter how hard the people of God try to reflect the character of God, through obedience in the, the Ten Commandments, obeying the Ten Commandments, they failed time and time again. They failed miserably. They just couldn't do it. They just could not reflect the character of God, no matter how hard they tried. And then after a long period of silence that David um, mentioned about last week, Jesus appears on the scene Bring in with him the good news of salvation. Bring in an answer to the problems that people, no matter how they, hard they tried, couldn't reflect or can't reflect the character of God. Jesus came, he lived among men, and he demonstrated the way we ought to live as Christians. He demonstrated the very nature of God and taught us how we should live. And then over the next four months, we will be diving into the New Testament, and Simon is going to uh, take us through that in his usual brilliant way. 
But all through the New Testament, we are reminded, the Apostle Paul, all the Apostles, John, Peter, reminds us that, or tells us that we ought to reflect the character of Christ. And I looked through, I had a, you know, I looked through all the passages of scriptures, and I was amazed, apart from the Gospels, you know, there there, there were specific instructions in Romans, Romans 12, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Titus, 1 Peter, James, all the books of the New Testament, there's always a reference about reflecting the character of God as Christians, as followers of him. This is our priority. This is what we should be aiming for. Day by day, year by year, how can we most reflect the character of God as Christian? One of, one of my favorite passages, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, is we are to be imitators of Christ. Now this is a, a, a translation from the the message, and I like this, I know a few of you don't really like that translation, but I thought this was good. Watch, watch what God does, and then do it. Simple. No, not simple. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Ephesians four twenty three to 24, Paul writes again, but you were taught to be made new in your hearts to become a new person. That new person resembles God, made to be truly good and holy. Jesus himself, in Matthew 5, 48, said, Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Every time I hear that passage of scripture, I often wonder, Did Jesus really expect us to be perfect? I can't imagine it, but yet it came from the master's mouth. Be perfect. So it is possible to be perfect, to imitate Christ in such a way that others see Christ in us. So you may well be thinking now, well, what does that mean? Who was Jesus? What was he like? How can I reflect reflect his character? What exactly is Mary saying? And I've often wondered, the scriptures doesn't tell us what Jesus was like when he was growing up. But you can imagine, his earthly father was a carpenter, so I assume that Jesus worked in a carpenter shop. And I I, I often wonder, what was he like as a little boy, as a teenager? Did he have hormone tantrums, you think, Claire? What was he like as a young man, training to be a carpenter? You know, what was his response when in the middle of the night, someone knocked on his door and said, the roof of my house has just blown off. Can you come and mend it? I say, hang on, let me check my diary. Um, I'll see you in six weeks. Graham's a very keen um, wood, wood person, carpenter. 
And I sometimes sit in his workshop and look at him, measuring wood, you know, sanding it, polishing it. Sometimes he gets the sizes wrong. And I then tell you his response. When he doesn't measure exactly or something doesn't fit that he thought would fit. And I wonder, what was Jesus like? What do you suppose he was like when he hit his thumb instead of the nail? We won't go there. And this morning, I'm not going to go into any real serious theology. I leave that for Simon. But I just want to remind you of one or two characteristics of Jesus. What examples of Jesus' character. And the first thing is, that I've noticed, is Jesus placed God's will ahead of all things. In John 6.38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And we see this example of this servant-like attitude at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus went down and was baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus didn't have to be baptized. Baptism was only for the remission of sins, and we know Jesus had no sin. So when his father told him that was, you know, what you had to do, he could have said, well, no, actually. He could have claimed equality with God, claimed his right as a God, and refused to do what the father asked. But Jesus was obedient. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, instructed us to have that same mindset as Christ. He, he writes, Who, being in, referring to Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. At his most vulnerable point, moment in Jesus' life on earth, as reported by Matthew in chapter 26, 39, Jesus cried out to his father, Father, if it's possible, Take this cup from me. When Jesus realized the suffering, the pain he had to go through, he didn't want to. I wouldn't want to. But yet he said, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. He did not live for himself, but for the glory of God. And you know, as Christians, this is where we have the hardest time thinking like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I do. To empty yourself means to accept a lower position, to be in service to each other. To think like Jesus means putting our preferences on the shelf. It means thinking of others before we think of ourselves, putting others first. It means understanding that our role in the body of Christ is to benefit others, not to receive recognition. It means that different practices which do not violate the will of God must not be held hostage by my likes and my dislikes. 
given up your rights is what it means, so that another may be served. It means not demanding your way and allowing God to leave. You know, the Bible tells us in the last days, men will become pleasers of themselves. And we're seeing this more and more. We listen to the news. We watch a television. We look at what's happening in the world. And we live in a me, mine, I come first society. The sound bite we hear is, believe what you want. Live how you want. Don't be a Jesus freak. Jesus Christ shouldn't affect the way you live. You know, you can pick and mix. Nothing is really right. Nothing is really wrong. doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're good to your neighbors and you don't kick the cat, and you don't abuse your children and you give to charity, you tolerate any and every lifestyle. The world says, what you need, all you need is love. Love is all you need. That's the sort of world we live in. But as Christians, we are to stand out from that. You know, there have been many times in my life when I've, I've done what I wanted and I've convinced myself that it must be pleasing to God because after all, I'm doing it for God. It's sometimes easy to do things out of self-interest and then ask God to endorse or rubber stamp them. Sometimes we say, oh, well, God is love. God is love. He won't mind. We rationalize everything. We bend the rules sometimes. You know, we, we kind of sometimes produce a kind of designer faith based on how we want to live rather than God's call on our lives. And sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, we put God in a box because it's safe to keep him there. You know, that way it doesn't interrupt with what we want to do. We try to make God in our image rather than the other way around. But you know, God is wilder. God is untamable. He's exciting. He's so big. He just, he will have his way. And I really believe we lose out when we put God in a box because we miss the things. We miss the things that God wants to show us and the things he has for us. To have a relationship with God, we have to give 100%. We either trust and obey or we go our own way. We live on God's terms, not ours. But you know, the Christian journey is not an easy one. In the book of Galatians, Paul describes it as going through the pains of childbirth. And I know maybe you men will be able to relate to that, but you may have some idea. And you ladies know what that pain is. You know, it is not easy. This is how Paul describes it. I don't know how he knew. His wife probably told him, I don't know, but... This is how he describes it. The transformation, the being reformed, the being changed into the likeness of Christ. It's not an easy process, and it doesn't happen overnight. A few months ago, I was listening to John Docker's 
testimony before he was baptized. And one of the things he said was, the Christian life is the hardest thing. Living the Christian life is the hardest thing I have ever done. And that resonated with me, and I'm sure with a lot of you. It is not easy. But that's why God sent Jesus. Good news. That's what Jesus came to to do when he came. He came with good news, the gospel. That's why God sent Jesus, because before the Israelites, they couldn't do it. They just could not be like Christ. Jesus has made all the difference. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. All we have to do is be willing. Be willing to be changed. Be willing to let go and let God. And the second thing I just want to draw to your attention is Jesus loved and valued all men equally. And that includes loving the fa- starting with the family. You know, charity begins at home. And sometimes we find that really hard because God does have some weird kids. I know you'll agree with me. And sometimes it's not easy to love the way Jesus loved. You know, I was reading through the, um, the Gospels, trying to highlight things about Jesus. And, and one thing I noticed is Jesus was the only person who touched lepers. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody else touched lepers. They ran the other way. Jesus was the only one who touched lepers. He loved people. He valued people, no matter what their circumstances, no matter what their situation. The great sermon on the mount. Jesus forbade murder in any form. He forbade being angry with one another. You know, he, he, he showed that as, as almost the same as committing murder. He forbade ruining someone's reputation. He forbade killing someone with criticism. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. He forbade vengeance one to another. In verses 43 to 48, Jesus commanded loving each other, loving one another. Barbara read to us earlier, Peter wrote in his epistle, Love one another as Christ loved us. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus wept at Lazarus' death. He felt sad when he saw how upset the friends and family were. Jesus was compassionate. Love in others is not easy. And it's not the hairy, fairy love that sometimes we hear about, you know, this Fiance was speaking to his bride-to-be one evening, expressing his undying love for her. I will climb the highest mountain to get to you. I will swim the deepest sea. You know, I'll fight anyone, the fiercest fight. 
because I love you. And after the meeting was over, she was so, you know, elevated and felt so special and great. Oh, he really loves me. And at the end of the evening, she said to him, so when will I see you again? He says, well, I'll see you tomorrow if it doesn't rain. But that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. Love can be painful. And Jesus proved that. Dying on a cross was painful because of love. Some people are scared to love because of the pain that's involved. And it, it is painful. It hurts sometimes. And occasionally it seems impossible. You know, on Friday we were in London. And sadly, how many people have ever had something stolen from them? Like a, something really private and personal. It's, it is a horrible feeling, isn't it? All sorts of crazy things go through your mind. And on Friday, I was walking down Oxford Street, you know, that, that, that part of the world that's so alien to us, unaware and of what was going on around me, and, and my purse was stolen. You know, the, for the next hour, I went through some real turmoil. Because the first thing that came to my mind was, you know that religion, whatever it is, where they chop off people's hand when they steal. I thought, well, I hope they find him and chop his hand off. That was my first response. And in the midst of all this vengeance that I wanted and this justice that I was sort of yearning for, Lord, let them find him and lock him up and throw away the key, him or her or child or I don't really know. You know, and, and all the things that go with it, the violation that you feel of your, your, your personal belonging, and then you think, well, where is it going to end up? Who's handed? And all that goes on in your mind. And I, I, I was just going down the road, well, I hope he's punished. I, I, she, or I, you know, I, and it was all this anger. And as I sat down in the car, and it's like the Lord was saying to me, hang on a minute, what are you preaching about on Sunday, about loving one another? You know, one, that's one of the benefits of uh, preparing a message, as Claire will probably agree with me, is that in those moments when you're really studying the word, the Lord can really get you know, to the heart of your being and speak to you. And by the end of the day, you know, I had to lay it down at the cross and say, Lord, you alone know. And one thing my sister said to me, she said, Mary, in everything, give thanks. And that really brought me back to where I should have been rather than where I was going. Loving one, one another, that's the way. God wants us to love. And thirdly, Jesus valued building to last. Endurance. How many of you have ever been on a diet and failed miserably? How many of you have been on a second diet and failed miserably? How many of you just don't bother anymore? Endurance. Whatever Jesus starts, he finishes. 
regardless of the price and the cost. Sometimes we, we start something and it becomes uncomfortable, so we don't complete it. We stop. Sometimes we go, you know, maybe to one church and we feel, oh, well, I'm not happy here. I'll just move on. Probably without not waiting on God to say no. That's where I want you to be. And sometimes God places us in very uncomfortable places where we live, the street we live on, the area we live on. And we think, I don't want to be here. I don't want to live here. I don't want this job. I don't want this. So we look for something else. And God may be saying, no, that's where I want you to be because that's where I can use you the most. But we have our endurance is very fragile. It's very limited. We want to move on somewhere where it is comfortable. Think of the story of Job. All that he'd been through, his wife even turned around and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Why is he letting you suffer so much? But Job rebuked her. He stuck it out. And we know the results. We know the results. Jesus thought that the one who had a lasting relationship with God through all the storms of life would be the one saved in the end. Jesus' example was that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you know when things get really rough, when they get difficult, we have to hang in there. I tell you, it will be worth it all in the end. The longer I live, the longer I study God's word, the more experiences I have, I know it will be worth it all. It will be worth the tears. It will be worth the sorrow, the sadness. It will be worth it. We persevere and endure like Jesus said. If we are going to be imitators, of Christ, we have to endure. He endured the cross. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act. Jesus could have run away. He could have hidden. But he didn't. And then we think, well, how do we do it? It's not easy. How do we do it? I just want to just share three things, four things rather, that I think would be helpful, which I have found helpful. And the first is we must be, be prepared to spend time with the Lord. If we want to reflect his character, if we want to be like Christ, we have to spend time with God. Now, you know, I know quite a few of you I know, you know, been married for a number of years. And after a while, you kind of know, oh, I think I know what Elizabeth's going to do, Tony says. I know how she will react to that situation. I know how, what, what she's like. And it's, it's because they have spent time together over a number of years. How are we going to know We'll have a relationship with Jesus, know what he's like if we don't spend time with him. And how do we do that? We spend time in prayer. 
we read in the scriptures, when Jesus began his ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert talking and communing with his father. He, you know, he wanted to be prepared if Jesus ne- needed to spend time with his father. How much more we need to spend time with Christ. First Thessalonians 5.17 says we ought to pray without ceasing. And not just with a chopping list, you know, dear God, bless my mom, bless the dog, bless the cat, you know, and so on. And not praying the great penicillin prayer to ensure you cover everything, just in case. But really praying and searching. Open my eyes, Lord, let me see you. Search my heart, O God. Let me see you. Open my eyes, open my heart. Spending time to really get to know Jesus. How can you reflect the character of somebody you don't know? Have you ever noticed how youngsters try to copy their parents? I was sitting in the, in the airport some time ago, and I observed you know, a dad sitting with his, must have been a four, five, six-year-old, sitting next to him. And everything his dad did, he was copying. His dad took the newspapers up and opened it up. And he got a little book and opened it up. And his dad crossed his leg and he crossed his leg. And his dad took a sip of coffee and he took a sip of his drink. Everything his dad was doing, he was imitating and copying. And I suddenly thought, yes, that's what as Christians we're called to do, to copy. We ought to be good copiers. Follow us. Jesus tells us in Luke 21, 46, to pray that we do not fall into temptation. So pray. Spending time with God. Secondly, we must be prepared to change. (laughs) That's a good one, isn't it? And as human beings, we don't like change. A man who had been married for 10 years went to see a marriage guidance counselor. You may have heard me give you this story before. And he said, when I was first married, I was happy. I got home from a hard day's work and my wife ran to me and brought me my slippers and my dog ran around me and barked. I was happy. But now after 10 years of marriage, things have changed. I get home from work and my dog brings me my slippers and my wife runs around and barks. And the marriage guidance counselor replied, I don't know what you're complaining about. You're still getting the same service. (laughs) But as human beings, we resent change. We're comfortable with our old habits and lifestyle and we struggle with change. In Ephesians 4.23 that we looked at earlier, Paul tells us to put off the old self and put on the new self, created to be like God. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit on our lives that brings about change. God is the one that changes us. But we have to allow him to work. And when he works, he he becomes Lord and he's the one that makes the changes. But you know, if we ignore the Holy Spirit often enough 
know, the Bible says. There comes a time when we won't hear his voice at all. We wouldn't know he's speaking to us. We need to change. Paul says in Corinthians 3.18 that we are being transformed into his likeness. We don't have a choice about it anymore. Once you become a Christian, you're being transformed. No choice. Now we change physically. We get older. Getting older, you realize the body changes whether we want to or not. You start beginning to notice parts of your body you never knew was there or possible to acquire. You bend down to tie your shoelaces and you think, is there anything else I can do whilst I'm down here because I'll never get down here again. What doesn't hurt doesn't work. We do change physically, but we need We need to change. We need to be prepared to change. And thirdly, we need to be active in service. Every saved person in this room owes God 100% surrender and effort. But let's face it, many are doing nothing to serve the Lord and to discharge this debt. Some people feel it's just enough to come to church on a Sunday morning or drop in when they feel like it. Some fill up their lives with everything under the sun and leave little time for God and his work. I'm speaking to myself here. You know, Romans 12, 1 to 2, Paul says, present yourself as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service giving him everything because of what he did. If our lives are really sacrificed to him, we really have no rights. Simon once preached a message some time ago saying we can risk everything when God asks. We can. You know, it's biblical. Your service to the Lord or lack thereof says a lot about your spiritual condition. Check out James 2, verse 18, when you get home. What you do in service to the Lord tells a lot about your spiritual condition. But you know, the good thing about it all, it seems really hard is that we have Jesus to help us. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do it alone. You know, sometimes when it just seems impossible, when you just haven't got the strength, when you haven't got the willpower, that's the time to cry out. Loving like Jesus requires... Being a, being a follower of Christ. Putting others first. All of that is it's not easy. But Jesus said, I've overcome. And so shall you. Calvary was painful. 
in a few moments, Claire is going to lead us in communion. And again, we think about the suffering of Christ. We sing, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing. I think about the Christ and Christ, the cross where you died. And I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again, I pour out my life. Once again, I pour out my life. It's easy to sing these songs, it's just songs, ritually. But you know, these are not songs, they are eternal truths. They're just not words, they're just not songs. And fourthly, we need to spend time in his word, read in his word. 2,000 years ago, God established a blueprint for his church to follow. The Bible gives us clear guidance on how we ought to live. We need to know the word of God. The devil does. So it's important that we know more than just two. To live this Christian life, we need to know the scriptures. We need to spend time in his word, and I'm very guilty of that. Um, this year, we're, we're going through the Bible, and Simon is teaching us week by week, and that is just great, because we're learning. We're learning, and we, we're reading, and we're seeing things that we've not seen before. Or even if we had read scripture before, we're seeing new things. And this is the lovely thing about reading God's word, is that every time you read it, God shows you something new, something different, something that will change us more and more into his likeness. See, I believe that the measurement of spiritual growth It's not how many times we are in church, what degrees we get, how good we are at anything. Measurement of spiritual growth is is the presence of Jesus Christ and the character of Jesus Christ more evident in me this year than it was last year. Because we're predestined to be glorified. We haven't got a choice. And you know, the strange thing about it is that you won't see it in you. When you look in the mirror, you're not going to say, I think I look a little bit more like Jesus today. We won't see it. It's others who will see it in us. It's others who will see it in us. So finally... Can we be perfect? Do you know anybody who's perfect? Don't put your hand up, Graham. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of everything. You know, God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He wants us to achieve our maximum potential. And the Holy Spirit is with us, nurturing, convicting, encouraging, making it possible for us to be 
imitators of Christ. You know, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowed. Have you ever seen any Christians really glowing? And you think, wow, that person is so much like Christ. It's great, isn't it? I think that's the best compliment anyone can pay you, I feel. If someone told me, you are like Christ in any way, in the remotest way, I think I would just be 10 foot tall and feel 10 foot tall. I'll be probably, probably take away all the humility from me then because, you know, it's what we, it's what we are striving to be. We're not striving really because Jesus makes it all possible. He's the one that changes, the Holy Spirit changes us. And we may not be where we want to go, but I hope this morning that we are not where we have been. It is a journey. And I know that I've not been, I am not 